0: All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to give you two passages of scripture. First one is going to be Numbers chapter number 13, and if you would kind of just mark that maybe in your Bible with a ribbon or with a post-it note or with a paper clip, uh, with something, in Numbers chapter 13, and then if you're able to go ahead and stand, we're going to begin in Numbers chapter 32 tonight. <clears throat> the book of Numbers chapter number 32. We're going to start off in Numbers chapter number 32, transition to Numbers 13, and then come back to Numbers chapter 32, and so uh, if I get the two texts kind of uh, intertwined and mixed up, please forgive me. I've got I've got recharged brain going on right now, and so i got a million things kind of running through my mind, but we'll be in Numbers chapter 32 tonight. Numbers 32, good to have my mom and dad here, and then um, my... Favorite brother-in-law? Just kidding. I, have, I, have, I, have, I love my brother-in-laws. I, really, I have really good brother-in-laws, but my brother-in-law, Justin, the first time he's been able to be here, then my, my baby sister, Addie. Uh, Addie's the one with the twins, and so if you see them later on after service, uh, if you can figure out which one is which, I will give you 20 bucks, but no cheating, no cheating. Uh, it, it's been hard for Uncle Andy to figure it out. So anyway, all right, Numbers chapter 32, and we're going to begin reading in verse number one, kind of set the stage for our topic tonight. Numbers chapter 32, verse number one, the Bible says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazar and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest, and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Adaroth, and Dibion, and Jazar, and Nemrah, and Heshbon, and Iliath, and Shabam, and Nabo, and Beon. Even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. So kind of pause here for just a second. Uh, they're basically looking at land that is east of the Jordan River, and here's what they're saying. Man, this is good land. This is fruitful land. This is land that we want because we have cattle and we need good land for our cattle. All right. Now follow this, what the Bible says. Verse number five, five, wherefore, said they, if we found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession and bring us not over Jordan. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war and shall ye sit here? But you think about that for a second. Moses questions the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben and says, Shall your brethren, so the other ten tribes, go to war while you sit here? Verse 7, And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Thus did your fathers, when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went out into the valley of Eshkol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel, that they should go not unto the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time, and he swore, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me." Title of the message tonight is simply this, choosing to cross, choosing to cross. In our text tonight, the nation of Israel was at a crossroads and they had to make a choice. We know this by our text that the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben were choosing not to cross. They were making a choice. They didn't want to cross. They wanted to stay on the other side of Jordan. The problem is this wasn't the first time. So it wasn't the first time. And so they're faced with this choice of whether or not to cross. Father, we thank you for tonight, again, the privilege, the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, I pray tonight that the distractions would be a minimum. Lord, that our focus tonight would be on what you have for us. Lord, it, that you would specifically speak to our heart. Lord, that we would be ready to hear from you. Lord, there's a, there's a biblical principle found in this text and a challenge For each and every one of us, no matter how young or how old, no matter if we're married, we're single, no matter if we're an adult, we're a teenager or a child, Lord, this thought tonight, choosing to cross, and we'll expound the scriptures here in Numbers 32 and number 13, but Lord, it's so vitally important that we realize the significance of where we're at tonight in this text. Help us tonight, Lord, just to allow you to move amongst us to speak to our heart as only you can. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated tonight. The Book of Numbers is the fourth book in the Old Testament, so we're not that far into the Bible, the Word of God, but to kind of give us some context of what has transpired leading up to the Book of Numbers and really understanding the nation of Israel and the dilemma, if you would, that they find themselves in Numbers chapter 32. We're going to kind of just kind of back up a little bit, kind of give us an idea of what's taken place. You say, Well, Brother Andrew, I've been in church my whole life. I I I know this. Uh, better than you know it. Well, man, next time you get to preach it. Amen. Uh, but the book of Genesis, we know, is the very first book of the Bible. And the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. And within its pages, we're briefed or shown the details of the commencement of our universe. We read Genesis chapter number one and chapter number two, and we find that God created the universe. In the beginning, God created, and so we know from the book of Genesis that the creation of mankind and the creation of the world, the creation of you name it—the Grand Canyon, Pikes Peak, uh, the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic—you name it—God created it. God's handiwork was started or began in Genesis, in the book of Genesis. But also, we find this in the book of Genesis: we find the, that that sin begins in mankind. We know that Adam and Eve. Sin in the Garden of Eden, we read about that in Genesis chapter number 3. And because of the sin that takes place in Genesis chapter number 3, the Bible teaches us that the sin nature is passed on from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, we're all sinners. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Man, thank you, Adam and Eve. But Genesis is a book of beginnings, but not just the beginning, if you would, of the universe and the beginning of sin, but how about this, the beginning of God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. We find within the pages of the book of Genesis, God making a covenant with Abraham. And we know we know from, the, from reading our Bible that the covenant with Abraham that God made as Abraham looked up into the heavens and looked up to the stars and God said, listen, Abraham, in a nutshell, he said, I'm going to make you a nation that's greater than what you're viewing right here. It's going to be so innumerable. You're not going to be able to count. You can't count the stars. Man, your, your, your fame, your nation, uh, your people is going to be magnificent. So you begin the, the beginning process, if you would, of the nation of Israel. But by the time we get to the book of Exodus, the nation of Israel is not living under freedom. They're living under bondage. We know this as we get into the book of Exodus, the second book of the, the Word of God, the second book of the Old Testament. We know this, that the nation of Israel is living in bondage in Egypt. And basically, they're slaves to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And so the book of Exodus has been described as a book of redemption. If we see within the book of Genesis man's downfall and the flop and the failures of mankind, Exodus shows us God's loving care of, his, of our failures and lifting us up, giving us hope regardless of our failures. Listen, the nation of Israel had failed and had failed and, and God's people had turned their back on God. And listen, God still provided redemption for them. Aren't you thankful tonight that even though we might fail God and even though we might flop and even though we might walk away from God, that God is always there willing to stretch out that hand of redemption, willing to give forgiveness, willing to reach out and say, I know you've walked away from me. I know you've cursed me. I know you've mocked me. I know you have no testimony, but I still love you regardless. And I want to redeem you unto myself. And listen, forgiveness is there. Forgiveness is there. Say, Brother Lance, you don't understand how messed up my life is. Man, I'm thinking about Moses tonight. Moses killed an Egyptian. Tried to bury him in the sand. Cover it up, Brother Brand. And guess what? People saw what took place. Moses ran. Ran to the backside of the desert for 40 years. Running from God. Ashamed of what he had done. Ashamed knowing Listen, knowing he had been a murderer. Hey, listen, I've never killed anybody. I've come close. I drove down to Kansas City today to pick up the shuttle. Man, Brother Rick. Whoo. The left lane, just, just, just time out for a second here. The left lane, the left lane is for what? Passing. Amen. Mike, we're driving down this morning. Uh, it's about nine o'clock, 8.30, eight nine o'clock. We're driving on down. My dad went down with me and we're driving. We're just out, just south of St. Joe, just south of St. Joe on I-29. And I'm cruising along. I'm not flying real fast, not real fast, just cruising along. And somebody is sitting in the left-hand lane, and, I'm, and as, as I'm going, I'm watching like semis pass them on the right-hand side. I'm thinking, man, here's my thought: this person has to be from Nebraska. Sure enough, I drove up. Anybody from Nebraska here tonight? Okay, no one's no one's no one's willing to admit it. <laughs> hey, Miss Jana, how you doing? <laughs> as sure enough, as we got on by passing on the right-hand side, I looked at somebody pointed Yep, look, from Nebraska. Hey listen man, we we we've never killed anybody. If you say, "Well, I've killed somebody." Talk to me afterward, uh after the service. <laughs> uh listen, we've never lived with, with knowing that we've killed somebody, but here's Moses on the backside of the desert running from God and, and and trying to live life. Listen with the weight of knowing he had murdered an Egyptian. The weight of knowing he had he had taken a man's life, yet God still said, "Moses, Moses, I have a plan for you. I have a design for you. I have a purpose for your life, So he called out from the burning bush. Man, Exodus shows us the redemption, not just for Moses' life, but how about this? How about what God did for the nation of Israel? How about what God did for the nation of Israel? Listen, for 400 years, living in bondage, living in slavery, living in rejection, and just living under the persecution of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and God says, hey, I haven't forgotten about you. I still love you. I still want to redeem you. I still got a plan for you. I still got a purpose. Listen, the promise I made to Abraham, I hadn't forgotten about it. And plague after plague after plague, God reminded the nation of Israel hey, I'm still in control. I'm still in control. We know this by studying the book of Exodus that God redeems his people from slavery and from bondage. We know this also from the book of Exodus. That God had a plan for his people as they got to the Red Sea and they got, to the, got there and, they, and knowing that the Egyptian army was right behind them just cruising for a bruising, if you would. Ready to just kill everybody. Ready to put them back under slavery and bondage. God said, oh, I'm not done redeeming you yet. And just kind of like parted the Red Sea. Man, there's a few things in heaven I'd like to be able to see when I get up there. I'd like to just sit back and grab a bowl of popcorn and a Mountain Dew, amen? That's probably won't be, in, won't be in heaven, but just sit back and watch watch what takes place. Listen, and it's not just the fact that God parted the Red Sea, but if you read the word of God, they, that God just parted the Red Sea and then they walked across on what? Dry land. Now that's pretty amazing. We got some rain here this afternoon. I don't know if it, it, where, you, where you live at if you got rain, but we got some rain here at church. And so I was, I was walking around the building Taking a look at the guttering and making sure everything was flowing right. Taking a look at the plants we planted over here on the south side of the building. And man, listen, rain, 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 rain rain stops. You can tell that it rained. Yeah. It's still there. The effects of the rain still there. God, it's almost like God just parted the Red Sea and went, whew, and it just dried up. And here come all these million plus people and all their cattle and all the, the fancy things. They had. Everything that they took out of Egypt just walked across on dry land. That's pretty Amazing. Pretty amazing to look at the redemption God has in the book of Exodus. Then we get into the book of Leviticus, and we kind of get in the deep things, if you would. And Leviticus is known as a book of worship. One of the key phrases we find within the book of Leviticus is this, to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The emphasis of Leviticus is on the purity of worship. Leviticus deals with God's call to worship. Issues such as access to the Lord and communion with God, separation from sin and unto holiness of life and are addressed within the pages of the book of Leviticus. Leviticus teaches us how to draw near to God and worship. I uh, <clears throat> Every once, uh, normally Monday or Tuesday, I, there's a, a few churches that I kind of look at their live stream from the weekend. There's some churches that I, I, I know about, I know their pastor, know their staff, kind of watch their live stream, kind of watch... Maybe how they do video announcements, maybe how they do transitions, maybe songs. There's songs I've sent to Brother Bronner before. Pastors looked at songs, hey, he sent to Brother Bronner. But then there's some churches you look at and you just kind of like breeze through maybe once every six months because you kind of know the direction they're headed. And I happened to stumble upon a church that's actually located in Colorado Springs. I was reading an article about a prior pastor who had pastored there, and it's located in Colorado Springs. It's probably one of the largest churches in Colorado Springs. And most of the time, most churches, they used to not live stream their worship services. It was just the teaching services. But now they've gone to the point where they've live streamed their worship service. Man, you talk about a rock concert going on. They had this cross it was all lit up It was suspended over like the center of the auditorium. And it, was, it wasn't even standing upright. It was like laying down flat. And they're all jumping up and down, banging, going on the drums. We're just worshiping Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Hey, let me let you in on a little secret you won't find that in the book of Leviticus. You won't find that practice in the book of Leviticus, nor really will you find that practice throughout the word of God. You won't find that there. It kind of goes back to, I'm thinking about a text we looked at Monday night for discipleship, where Paul got under the church at Corinth because they were taking the, the idolatrous practice of the Gentiles and mixing it with what was taking place in God's house. And Paul calls them out and says, no, 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 You cannot take idol worship and idol living and and, and religion of a Gentile, bring it into the house of God and get it to mix. It just doesn't work that way. But Leviticus is about worship. So then we get into the book of Numbers, our text tonight. See how fast that was? That was really quick. Book of Numbers tonight, written around 1450 BC. The book of Numbers deals with the walk and the warfare of the believers. They are pilgrims going through the wilderness of life. We can ultimately say this, that the book of Numbers is a handbook, if you would, for pilgrimage. Numbers, and Numbers, Israel is walking and wandering and wayward throughout this entire book. Numbers is about God's direction and man's rejection of God's leading and guidance. The Hebrews call this book, and I'm going to mispronounce this word, Bimdabar, which means this, in the wilderness. And the rebellion and the stubbornness of Israel led to their wandering in the wilderness for almost 40 years. By the time we get to our text tonight in Numbers chapter number 32, the nation of Israel has wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, when we're talking about wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, we're not talking like, like traveling all across the United States. No, no, we're not. We, we, sometimes we think wandering, we're thinking like, man, they're just, they're going from Florida to California to Washington to Maine to Massachusetts to Kansas to Kansas to Kansas, to Kansas, to Oklahoma, to Texas, to, no, no, we're not, listen, we're not talking about a major landmass here. We're talking about just going in circles, going in circles, going in circles, and in circles, and in circles, and in circles. So we find in our text here in, in Numbers chapter 32, really a an interesting interaction. I want you to notice here in verse number one, what the Bible says. It says, now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, so there's 12 tribes of Israel. We don't have forsaken time tonight. We don't have time. to. That's a totally separate study. But the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben are two of the 12. And so they're getting to this point where the journey's coming to an end. Okay, we're going we're to rewind here in a second. But the journey's coming to an end. And these two tribes come to Moses. And notice what the Bible says here. Verse 2. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and the Eleazar, the priest, and unto the princes of the congregation saying, So Aaron's passed on from the scene. Eleazar's the priest, the high priest now. And so what they do is these tribes come to Moses, Eleazar, and it will say like this, the princes or the, the leadership, if you would, of the nation of Israel. And they make, they make a very profound statement. Notice in verse number four what the Bible says. Even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle and for thy servants, for thy servants have cattle. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over to Jordan. So for 40 years, the nation of Israel has wandered in the wilderness. And listen, while wandering, there's things that have taken place. We don't have time to look at it, but we know this, that God provided manna from heaven. We know this, that God provided water. He provided. Sometimes He provided, provided water from a rock. Uh, we know this, that God uh, God did some amazing things within the nation of Israel. God provided, God met their needs. Listen, God, remember the story, a pastor preached on it uh, just not too long ago, talking about atonement on Wednesday night, uh, about the serpent on the pole, and the serpents coming in when there was murmuring, and there was, there was backbiting, and there was gossip going on within the nation of Israel. God did some things within the wilderness that should have got their attention, should have woke them up to what his plan was and what his purpose was. But yet they get to the Jordan River, getting ready to cross over, and they're looking back toward the wilderness, and they're like, hey, that looks really good. We'd like to stay right here. No, no. You're looking at the promised land out there, but yet they're turned around, these two tribes, looking back toward the wilderness, going, that looks good for us. We want that. Man, that, that looks good for my plans, my business model. No, no, that's what, it, look, 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 look. That's what he says. He says, hey, listen, we have much cattle. You know what cattle, what does cattle equal? Money, money, investment. Hey, listen, we, Moses, you don't understand. For 40 years, we've wandered in the wilderness. For 40 years, we've gone round and round and round. And we've been in battles. We've been eating manna. We've been eating quail. We've seen, we drank water from a rock. We drank water that was bitter. And then you get, and then God worked and now it's not bitter. And man, we've seen, we've seen the ground open up. We've seen we've seen our brethren uh, uh, swallowed up by the ground, man. We've seen some pretty amazing things. But hey, we want to stay in the wilderness. We want that land. Hey, we're standing right here looking at the promised land, but we just want to stay out here in the wilderness. Well, why? Ah, because there's good ground over here. Ah, it's good ground for our cattle. Man, our business endeavors, man, our plans, our investments. Listen, our investments, uh, our inheritance for our next generation. Man, you guys go across the Jordan River. You guys conquer the promised land, but we're going to hang out back here. We're going to hang out back here. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad came to Moses and the leaders of Israel with a proposition to consider. They requested, hey, we want to stay back. But then I want you to notice in verse number six what Moses does. And Moses said unto the children of Gad. Now, we know this. We know this, that Moses is getting to the end of his life. I, we don't have time to go back to it. There's so much here in this text we've got to develop. Uh, Moses is getting to the end of his life. God has already, listen, God has already dealt with Moses. Moses disobeyed God. Moses is not going to go in the promised land. But he's still the leader. At this point in time, he's still the leader. And so, so they come to Moses, and Moses being the leader, look what he says, verse number six. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? I'm kind of picturing this play out, okay? I'm kind of picturing this play out. I'm kind of picturing like Moses up here and Eleazar off on the side, and Gad, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Reuben over here on the right-hand side, and then all the other 10 tribes and representatives over here. They walk up and they say, hey, you guys have a good time on the other side of the Jordan River, but we're going to stay here. And I have a, I just, I'm picturing this in my mind that Moses is standing up looking at 10 tribes versus two tribes. And he's looking back and forth at maybe, maybe just what's transpiring and maybe some things that are going on that's not necessarily in the text. And, and this interaction in Moses, is like, hold up, hold up, hold up. There's the promised land. There's the wilderness. So you're saying you want to stay here instead of the promised land. You're, you're at the doorway looking at the promised land. And yet you don't want to go because you'd rather have what's in the wilderness. You really think you ought to stay here and not help those guys go take that promised land? I mean, after all, that's what God, that was God's plan. No, no, look what he says. Look what he says. Moses, Moses alludes that. Look what he says. Verse seven. And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them. Hey, listen, the plan for 40 years. Watch the plan for 40 years. Here's Moses. Hey, listen. We didn't do it right the first time. We're gonna get into this here in a second in, in, in Numbers chapter 13. We didn't do it right the first time. And because we didn't do it right, God's punishing us and God's judging us for the next 40 years. So we got 40 years to wander through the desert, 40 years to deal with the quail, 40 years to deal uh, with water from the rock, 40 years to deal with the manna. We got 40 years. And they get it to the end of the 40 years and there's two tribes that are like, I really don't want the promised land, Moses. I want the wilderness. I really don't want to continue on. We've heard the stories, Moses. Ready? We've heard the messages, Moses. We've heard the teaching. We've heard the preaching. Yes, we know the Red Sea was parted. Yes, we know about Pharaoh. Yes, we know about the promise with Abraham. Yes, we know about all those things, but we really don't want the promised land. We want the wilderness. And here's Moses. Moses looks at him and is like, what are you thinking? We'll say it like this like for 2022 vernacular. What's your deal, bro? What's your deal? What's your deal? No, no, look what he he says. Look what he says, verse number seven. He says, and wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them. Here's what he's saying. Gad, Reuben, do you not realize that your choice, your decision is going to discourage the other ten tribes? Watch, because look at verse 8. He says, thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went into the valley of Eshkol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. He's saying, listen, we've, we've been here before. We've, we've gone down this road before. We've, we've done the same thing. We've, man, we've been there before. Have you not learned? So hold your place in Exodus chapter 32. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter number 13. We're going to come back to Exodus 32 to finish out. So when we go back to 32, you know we're getting close to finishing, amen? Exodus chapter number 13 tonight. So by the time we get to, or sorry, not Exodus, Numbers chapter 13. (laughs) Sorry, Numbers chapter 13, not Exodus 13. I apologize. Numbers 13. We know this by the time we get to Numbers 13, what has taken place or what has transpired in the life of the nation of Israel within Egypt and crossing the Red Sea uh, and coming out of Egypt into the into the wilderness, if you would, on their way toward the promised land has taken place. And so this is very early, if you would. We'll say like this. This is very early in the leadership of Moses. This is very early in the leadership of Moses, very early in the transition of the nation of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. So notice in chapter number 13 of the book of Numbers, verse number 1, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I gave unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All these men were heads of the children of Israel. So in, in, in Numbers chapter 13, God and Moses have this conversation that takes place. Sometimes people forget, they, they, they look at this passage of Scripture and they're like, well, you know, wait wait a minute, Brother Andrew, God God was the one that told Moses to send the people in. And it's actually not. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 1, verse number 21, here's what God said. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it. Now this is going to be key for just a second. We're going to show this. One of the things we're teaching on Monday nights in discipleship is Scripture always interprets Scripture, but we cannot look at a passage of scripture and automatically go, that's gotta be what it means. Because God's not the author of confusion. Well, brother Andrew, you just said right here, the Lord spake unto Moses saying, send thou men. Hold up. Deuteronomy chapter one, verse 21. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee, fear not, neither be thou discouraged. And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, we will send men before us. They shall search out the land and bring us word again by what we may go up. And what and to what cities shall we come? God's original plan for the nation of Israel when they left Egypt, God's original plan for the nation of Israel when he called Moses out of the burning bush, God's original plan for the nation of Egypt, or sorry, the nation of Israel from the very beginning of time was for them to possess the promised land. Okay, well, why are you making a, such a significance about the promised land? In, in the Bible time, in, in the Bible, when we look and study the Bible, Egypt is always a representation of what? The world. Sin. The promised land, listen, is not a representation of heaven. It's not. Kind of burst the bubble there for some. The promised land is a representation, listen, of the will of God and a victorious Christian life. That's what the promised land represents. No, 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 no. The nation of Israel was in the world. They were in Egypt, they were in slavery, they were in bondage. God said, I got something better for you. It's called the promised land, the Canaan land. It's, all, it's right there for you. Listen, you and I, in bondage, enslaved to sin. God sets us free. God didn't set, listen, God didn't set us free for us to wander in the wilderness. God didn't set us free so we could just do whatever we want. God set us free so that we could live, prosper, and thrive in the promised land. God desired for us to thrive in his will and his will alone. Yet many times we find ourselves wandering in the wilderness. We might not be back in Egypt. We might not be under the world and the bondage of, of sin in the world. But man, we're not, listen, we're not living that blessed life in the promised land. We're not living that joyful life in the promised land. We're not living that life that we find, man, we find so much passion and joy and excitement from. Because we're just kind of spinning the wheel wandering in the wilderness. And here in Numbers chapter number 13, there's 12 men that go into the promised land. 12 men that search out and spy out the promised land. Look at verse number 16. Sorry, verse number 17. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. What the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. Listen, you read the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. uh, It's just maybe it's just me, but man, I'm thinking like I'm thinking about Moses being the general, and 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 these twelve guys, these twelve guys being like Navy SEALs, Green Berets. They're going in doing the intelligence report. They're going to come back give the report. And 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 listen, they ought to give a good report, right? But we know the story. Let's keep reading. Verse number twenty one. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin and to Rehob as men came to Hamath. And they ascended to the south and came into Hebron. And from there, uh, Emeon, Shimei, and Timi, the children of Anak, were there. And now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came into the brook of Eshkol and cut down from thence a branch from one cluster of grapes. And they bare it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the promagandants and of the figs. Here's what the Bible is saying. Listen, they went into the promised land. They went into the land in Numbers chapter 13, spent 40 days searching north to south, east to west. 150 miles north to south, over 60 miles east to west. Man, they went all over the promised land, all over the place. Imagine that intelligence report. 40 days in the Promised. I mean, they had everything down, everything down. But listen, it wasn't just the intelligence report that they brought back to Moses and Joshua, or sorry, the nation of Israel, because uh, Joshua and Caleb were with them, but they also brought back some fruits of the promised land. And the Bible tells us this, that it was so plentiful that there were two that had to handle it. They had two men that had to carry it on back on a staff. Man, this this, this ought to be, they walking into camp, this ought to be like joyful. And the nation of Israel ought to be like, man, let's go. Man, look at those grapes. Man, let's go. Man, my cattle, that's got to be some good ground. If there's grapes out there. Woo, this is awesome. Let's go. And we know this by reading in the text here Numbers chapter 13, that that's exactly not what happened. We know by reading the text, I'm going to move this along pretty quick here, that 10, 10 of those that went in for the intelligence report, if you would, came back and gave a bad report. They came back and gave a bad report. Look at Numbers chapter 13, verse number 26, what the Bible says. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel, Unto the wilderness of Parah and and they brought back word unto them, and unto the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land, whether thou sendest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Verse 28. Nevertheless. You ever taken your vehicle to like an auto shop? I'll, I'll just use myself for an example. About a year ago, I I, I was I went and I had to go get some new tires on my truck, and I could tell that, like, the front of the truck, the tires were wearing a little funny. So my truck was out of alignment. That's what happens, in case you don't know. Your tires look kind of bald on the inside, or it's out of alignment. So I'm like, okay, I, I can't do that, so I'll take it to the shop, take it in for alignment. So I take it to a shop over here down off of Pear Street, turn our automotive, got a great relationship with them, invited them to church, got a good, just feel like, man, that's a good, honest shop. Take it on in. Drop it off for the alignment. He calls me up. Hey, Andrew, how are you? I said, I'm great. Here's what he says. He's says, well, man, you got a really nice truck. Then I'm like, oh, I know what's coming. You're a really nice truck. I can tell you take good care of it. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, well, I can't do an alignment. Get got some ball joints out. $1,000 later. Cha-ching. Truck's aligned. Tires look great. Hey, listen, nation of Israel, they're sitting there, they're waiting for the intelligence report. Man, look at those grapes. It it floweth with milk and honey. Man, are you serious? When are we going? Nevertheless, what? Nevertheless. What are you talking about? Look, Look what the Bible says. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Hold up, hold up, brother Andrew. You just said a few minutes ago that the Promised Land is a, is a representation of that, that that victorious Christian life, and and you you said, listen, you said that Promised Land is a is a representation of God's will. But man, why would why would these things take place? And and it just seems like those two things are totally off. Like they don't even gel together. I mean, man, all the problems that they were going to have to face and the battles. How could that be the Promised Land? Listen, if you and I want to live the victorious Christian life, it's not going to be a cakewalk. Listen, it's not going to be a bed of roses. It's not going to be all hunky-dory. Listen, there's, there's going to be times we wake up, and man, we're going to have some financial problems. We're going to have some health problems. We're going to have some mental problems. We're going to have some spiritual problems. Listen, we're going to be in some battles. There's some folks in our, our family tonight that are going through some serious health issues in their life. Listen, you and I can't look at the promised land. We can't look at God's will and go, man, I don't I don't feel like that battle. I don't feel like fighting that war. I don't feel like going that extra mile. Listen, that's what the nation of Israel was at. They stood right at the Jordan here in Numbers 13 and looked across and saw the promised land and saw the fruit, saw the benefit, saw all that God had for them, but they weren't willing to fight for it. So you know what it tells me? It tells me this. It tells me this. If I want God's will in my life, I'm going to have to fight for it. No, 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 no. Listen, look here. I can't just pray for God's will. I can't just look for God's will. I need to fight for it. I need to have a desire for God's will. I need to have a passion and a desire for God's will. I just don't know God's will. Maybe tonight you don't know God's will because you're just like the nation of Israel. Man, that's God's will. I'd have to give up this. I'd have to do this. I'd have to sacrifice this. Some of us will never experience the promised land in our life because we're unwilling to make the sacrifice. Some of us will never realize God's will and all that God has for us because we're not willing to make the sacrifice. Listen, I, I'm, th- I'm thankful for Bible college. I'm thankful for the opportunity I had those four years. But man, if there is one thing that Bible college taught me, it's this. It doesn't matter about the guy sitting to the left of me or to the right of me in class. Listen, it's all about what I do for God and how God works in my heart. Whether or not he, he's, listen, whether or not he's still faithful, doesn't matter. Whether or not he's still in the ministry, doesn't matter. You know what matters? Me. My walk with God. Listen, my walk with God's not based on the guy to the left of me or the guy to the right of me. It's not based upon the girl to the left of me or the girl to the right of me. You know what it's based upon? My relationship with God. And if I want God's will tonight, if I want all that God has for me in the promised land, man, it's going to be a fight. There's going to be some sacrifice. There's going to be some challenges. Hey, can I say it like this? There's going to be a battle. There's going to be a war that takes place. How bad do you want God's will? Pastor Marshall, Pastor Marshall, man, I just, I want to see God work in my life. I I I want to see God do things in my life. Man, God's just not blessing me. Well, how bad do you want God's will? Obviously not bad enough if you're not passing out tracts. Obviously not bad enough if you can't be faithful to the house of God. Obviously not bad enough if we're not faithful to give and to tithe. Obviously not bad enough if we're not coming in with a, with a spirit and a mentality of, Lord, I don't want to just be blessed. Lord, it's not about me. I want to be a blessing to others. No, no. The nation of Israel had all the opportunity in the world to cross the River Jordan right here in Numbers chapter 13, yet they didn't. And So what takes place? The Bible tells us that the report that's given, it stirs up the people. It discourages them. Look what, Look what the Bible says, verse 27. He says this in verse 27, that it floweth with milk and honey, but then in verse number 28, he gives, if you would, the negative part of the response. Verse 29, he talks about all the, the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites, the Amorites, all those that dwell in the land. But notice verse number 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, watch what Caleb says. Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Notice what Caleb says there. Let us go what? Up at once and Possess it. Hmm. Who else made that statement? God did. Back in Deuteronomy chapter number one. I, I can't help but think, Brother Rick, I was studying this afternoon, reading over this text. I can't help but think that maybe in those 40 days, just using my imagination here, that maybe as Caleb is, maybe he's, maybe he's like buddy-buddy with Joshua and they're hanging out together and they're kind of in the thick of things and doing the, 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 the intelligence briefing. I can't help but think as he's traveling in the promised land in those 40 days, spying it out, That maybe God doesn't say, hey, Caleb, look at that mountain. That's what I got for you. Hey, I can't help but think, Brother Butch, that in that time of of spying everything out, that God doesn't look down at Caleb and go, hey, Caleb, hey, see that mountain? See that area over there? That's yours. Man, Caleb comes back. He's on fire. He's ready to go. Why, Brother Andrew? Not because he's got a mountain. You know why? He's got the word of the Lord backing him up. He's got God saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. My plan has always been for you to go up to the promised land and possess it. So we know the story here. We're going to move pretty quick. We know the story here that the people, the nation of Israel, decide not to cross the River Jordan. So because they doubted God, because they did not trust God, God judges them. Here's what God says. There's two judgments, if you want to put it like this. Judgment number one, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. One year for every day the spies were in the promised land. Forty days in... 40 years wandering. But not just that, God tells them this, that everybody over the age of 20 will never step foot in the promised land. I can't help but think that maybe in the midst of the crowd that's taking place right here in Numbers chapter 13, that there might be an old Jewish man, an old Hebrew man, that for 20, 30, 40, 50, brother Doug, maybe 60 years, was stomping on straw, being whipped at by the Egyptians praying and begging god god you got to do something god you got to get us out of here god you said that you'd send a deliverer and guess what god prolonged his life enough to where god sent moses the deliverer shows up brother stevens he 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 sees the delivery sees the plagues he sees what takes place he sees the joy as the nation of israel's gathered together he sees the parting of the red sea he sees god do some amazing things and he's all excited and here he is, he's got his bundle of clothes and his household goods, and he's standing there and he's like, man, day 40, here come the spies. They're, they're coming back, they're giving their report. Man, I'm ready to see the promised land. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. They come back and give a bad report. And then God sends his judgment and God says, nope, no one over the age of 20 is going to step foot in the promised land. Imagine that older gentleman, that older Hebrew man, just the wind going out of his sail. The frustration, the letdown, the disappointment. So we know this, the nation of Israel travels for the next 40 years and wanders round and round and round. Let's go back to Numbers 32. Let's wrap this up tonight. We know this, that God brings down, if you will we'll say it like this, that God judges the nation of Israel for their disobedience and their unbelief. Listen, God doesn't play around in, in Numbers chapter number 14. God specifically talks about it. He calls, calls them, talks about their carcasses laying in the wilderness. Uh, we won't go back for the sake of time and read it, but go back and read Numbers chapter number 14. God uses the word carcasses multiple times in that passage to describe what's going to take place within the wilderness. I, I can see the anger of God, just the frustration of God, all that God's done, and he's just like, man, people, do you not get it? Do you not get it? So we get to Numbers chapter number 32, and we see a repeat event that takes place. But there's something here that Moses says that I think is very, very significant. Notice Numbers chapter number 32, and in verse number 8. Here's what Moses says, Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. So we're going to kind of make some application and we will be done tonight. We know tonight that Egypt represents the world, represents sin, but we also know this tonight, that the promised land is a representation of God's will and and the victorious Christian life. And the wilderness is what's in between. So it begs us to ask the question tonight, what part of these three am I living in? What part of these three positions or these, these areas of influence am I living in? Am I living in Egypt? Am I living in the world? Am I living in denial? Am I living in the wilderness? Just kind of going round and round and round. Hey, listen, we already discussed at the beginning of the message. We know the wildernesses can be good. I mean, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, they wanted to stay. God provided manna. God didn't let their shoes fall off. God provided water. God did many things in the wilderness, but it wasn't the promised land. Or do we live our life in the promised land, in the will of God, right where God wants us? And here's the key, and it's found in verse number 8. Thus did your fathers when I sent them to Kadesh Barnea to see the land. So let's illustrate this tonight. In Numbers chapter number 13, the nation of Israel sends out the spies, and they're bringing in the report. And they're basically, if we want to say it like this, they're standing at the Jordan River at the bank, looking into the promised land. And the fathers choose not to go. Now listen, in their choice, it affected everything. It affected God's plan. It affected Moses' plan. It affected Joshua's plan. It affected Caleb's plan. It affected everybody's plan. But here's the plan that they forgot that it was going to affect. The next generation. The next generation. The promised land hadn't changed. Promised land hadn't changed. Some of you in here tonight, you've been saved for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You've walked with God, you've spent time with God, you've had communion with God. And listen, as you've grown and as you've matured, that promised land experience, that will of God, man, it's just as awesome today as it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. Just as awesome. In fact, some of you could probably give testimony and say, hey, Brother Andrew, now being faithful to God's house, now being faithful to the Lord, walking with God, it's even sweeter now than it was 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Should be. But the decision not to cross affected the next generation. The decision not to cross affected it so much that the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben looked back to what the wilderness had to offer and said, I want that. How many of us tonight sitting on the bank of the Jordan looking at the promised land, looking at God's will, looking at all that God wants to give us that he says, this is for you, this is for you, but yet we'll turn around and look at God and go, I'd rather have the wilderness because it benefits me, and it's not a fight, it's not a battle. So what are the lessons to learn out of Numbers 32 and Numbers 13? Give you three. Lesson number one, God's people are not always in God's will. God's people are not always in God's will. Just because, I I, I hope you know my heart tonight, just because you're here on a Wednesday night does not mean you are in God's will. Man, Brother Andrew, that's kind of mean. No, no, it starts here with me. Just because we're in church tonight, just because I'm on staff, just because you're a deacon, just because you're a Sunday school teacher, a Sunday school helper, choir leader, pianist, just because you're a member of Riverside Baptist Church does not necessarily mean you are in God's will. Man, these were God's chosen people. The Israelites, they're God's chosen people, yet they were outside of God's will. God's people tend to get out of place and out of bounds when it comes to his will. Why? Because they'd rather have what's offered in the wilderness without a fight than take what is in the promised land and sacrifice for it. Gad, Reuben, knew what was getting ready to take place. They knew crossing the River Jordan, there was going to be a battle, there was going to be a fight. They're like, I'd rather have the wilderness. It's better for me. That's lesson number one. Here's lesson number two. The wilderness may look good, but it's not the promised land. God's desire is not that you and I live, serve, deal with, coast in, but put up with living in the wilderness. No, his desires that we live in the promised land. Listen, the food needed to feed two and a half to three million people in the wilderness required some uh, Some uh, commentators say required up to 50 railroad boxcars full of manna per day. Plus food for thousands of animals. They need. They would need 12 million gallons of water per day to survive in the wilderness. But listen, God miraculously supplied all their needs for those 40 years, but it wasn't the promised land. We know story. Manna again. Quail again. Water from the rock. Bitter water. Hold up, hold up. You neglected milk and honey. Man, I just, man, I just don't know why God's not blessing, Brother Brandt. Man, I just don't know why it just doesn't seem like God's not answering my prayers. It just doesn't seem like I'm coming to church. I'm just not excited. I'm just not all in. I'm just, just not seeing God move and work in my life. What are we doing? What are we neglecting the promised land for? But yet we expect God to bless. Listen, God wasn't going to bless the nation of Israel by being disobedient. God's not going to bless you and I in 2022 by being disobedient and saying, God, I'd rather have the wilderness than the promised land. The wilderness may look good, but it's not the promised land. Lesson number three is this. Choosing not to cross has a major impact on the lives around you. Uh, Levi, come here for a second. Uh, Dad, would you come up here too for a second? Levi, I'm going to have you stand right there. And dad, if you could stand right over there. Thank you. It's my dad. It's my son. Three generations. Listen, the choice he makes of whether or not to cross the Jordan affects me. Moms and dads. The choice you make whether to cross the Jordan and live in the promised land, no matter the fight, no matter the sacrifice, no matter listen, no matter the war and the conflict that's gonna take place, it's gonna affect the next generation. Amen. Numbers chapter 13, he says, nope, not gonna happen. Guess what? That affects me. So number 30, Numbers 32, what do I do? Man, I'm a tribe of Gad, I'm tribe of Reuben, I'm, I'd rather have the wilderness. Who then does it affect? Listen, we don't have time. We've got to be done. Because here's here's what you say. How do you say that, Brother Andrew? Because if you study out the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad, they went off a whoring and worshiping idols. If you study the history of the tribes of, of the nation of Israel, those two tribes were the first two tribes to fall under uh, persecution, to fall under slavery, to be dominated by the Babylonian Empire. Why? Well, because they would rather have the wilderness than the promised land. Listen, his decision whether or not to live in the promised land affects me. My decision whether or not to live in the promised land affects him. Guess what? His decision whether or not to live in the promised land one day will affect his son or his daughter. Thanks, guys. You guys have a seat. Our choices, our decisions affect other lives around us. So, Brother Andrew, that's, that's, that's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not. Listen. Why why do we have have a mass exodus of teenagers from church? Why do we have a mass exodus of young people that no longer listen, no longer want to sit next to you and sit next to me? Could listen? Could it be? Could it be? Could it be tonight? Because they watched a generation look at the promised land and go, "It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I'd rather stay in the wilderness." Listen, moms and dads tonight, moms and dads, adults tonight. There shouldn't be nothing in the promised land that we're scared of. God says, that's where I want you, Brother Butch. Go. Brother Butch has a responsibility to go, okay, how fast, God? I'm ready to go. Because that's where the blessing is. The blessing's not in the wilderness. You know what the wilderness does? It's just the provision. It's just the provision. But man, that milk and honey in that promised land, Brother Butch, it's good. Them grapes... It's good. But our decision affects others around us. Some of you tonight, that's where you're at. You're at the Jordan River. You look out at the promised land. And here's your thought. Man, if I lived there, if I had that victorious Christian life, man, there's going to be some things in my life that I have to get out. There's some music I can't listen to. There's some friends I can't have. There's some some websites I can't go to. There's some hobbies. There's some desires that need to get addressed with God. I don't know if I can do that. We back away from the Jordan. Listen, somebody's right behind us watching. Adults, there's young men and young ladies in this church that are watching what you do. Teenagers, there's young men. Look down here at Truman. Got a shirt and tie looking sharp. There's young men and young ladies in this church that are watching what you teenagers do. And guess what? Pretty soon, pretty soon, there'll be some kids in this church watching what you do. And your decisions and my decisions and your choices and my choices have a profound impact on the next generation. Moses is like, you're just like your father's. Just like your father's. You are choosing not to cross because it's all about you. The promised land, the victorious Christian life is where I want to live, but it won't happen if I fail to choose to cross. We're standing at a crossroads tonight. If we would say, I want that promised land, brother, I mean, I want to live that victorious Christian life. Are you? What is it in the wilderness you're not willing to let go of and proceed on into the promised land? Choose tonight to cross over, man. It's going to be hard, I know. Man, there's going to be battles, I know. Man, people are going to people probably won't want to be my friends. Welcome to the club, man. I man, brother Andrew, I got to do what God wants me to do, yeah. Because if you do what you want to do, you'll be like Gad and you'll be like Reuben. So if I walk up to you and I go, "Hey Gad, how you doing? Hey Reuben, how you doing?" Let's think about it tonight. If we're willing to cross. We want that promised land. We want that victorious Christian life. We're faced with the option tonight. Do I cross? Or do I turn around, look at the wilderness and go, it's pretty good back here. I'm just going to stay over here for the rest of my life. Father, we thank you for the privilege, the honor it is to be able to preach your word tonight. Lord, thank you for the text and the principle that we find within Scripture. Lord, I pray that tonight it's been clear where my heart, desire, Lord, I know even in my own life, no matter where we're at, how old we are, or you know, even in my own life, there's been times where I feel like I've just wandered in the wilderness and when I really get down and look at it, it's because I haven't been willing and wanting and desiring to make that choice to live for you and be totally, completely sold out. Lord, maybe tonight there's somebody here that they've been going through something in their life. They've been going through a struggle. They've been going through a trial. They've been faced with some decisions. And they're at that Jordan River. They're at that crossroads. And they know, they know the promised land is right there. But yet they haven't crossed over. Lord, maybe tonight there's some moms and some dads who, Lord, for lack of a better term, they struggled to live in the promised land. And it's had an effect on their children. Lord, maybe tonight there's some teenagers that have been challenged to live different Challenged to be different. Challenged to live for you, regardless of what anybody else says, what anybody else thinks. But yet they've stayed wandering in circles in the wilderness. Lord, wherever we're at tonight, may we just deal with it, or be humble enough to confess where we've fallen short. Lord, help us tonight. Help us tonight, God. Help us tonight to choose to cross over. To choose not to look back at the wilderness, not to look back at what the world might have to offer, not look back at what Egypt is flashing in front of our face, but help us to choose to wholeheartedly, like Caleb said, to get up and possess it. As we stand tonight, every head bowed, every eye closed, the altars are open, let's do business with God. If God spoke in your heart tonight, I encourage you to respond. said get up and possess it are you living in God's will tonight so brother Angel, I don't quite know God's will I don't quite fully understand God's will I'm not quite there man get hungry for it get a desire for God's will get a passion and a drive for it and allow God to work in your life listen you will never regret living in the promised land You'll never regret living in the will of God. You'll regret living outside of it. You'll regret living contrary to it. But you won't ever regret living in the center of God's will.